Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week of the Battleground Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zalke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thanks. Good to be here. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, great to have you. Good morning from uh, Wisconsin Dallas. Oh, well, great, Robert. Uh, We'll talk more about why Robert's in the Wisconsin Dells uh, very shortly here on the show. Um, We are going to talk a lot about COVID here, COVID-19. We'll give updates. We had a number of events that Robert, uh, why he's in the Dells currently around the state yesterday on Wednesday around uh, trying to make sure that we get more federal uh, support for, uh, uh, for, for workers and, and across the board for COVID relief. Um, and we're going to also talk about should schools and how should schools be reopening in the fall. Ben Ward, executive director of the MTA, will join us. And we'll also be joined by Mario Ramirez from Bosa de la Frontera to talk a little bit more about something we talked about last week, uh, where the Department of Health Services is not releasing businesses that have two or more COVID cases. But let's get started. We have got to talk about uh, COVID-19. As of uh, the recording this morning on Thursday, our seven-day rolling average is currently the highest average it has ever been uh, throughout this pandemic. And I I think that is uh, important uh, for us to state. Um, And we, as we talked about last week, a number of municipalities are starting to respond where there's a vacuum, both federally and, and, and state leadership, uh, with local masking ordinances. And uh, we talked about Milwaukee last week, and that ordinance actually passed. And as of today, it is here Thursday, it is the first day that ordinance goes into effect, and we know a number of other cities are considering it. But, uh, Claire, I'm going to send it to you just from a healthcare perspective, right, where this continues to be um, a huge issue. Obviously, it's great to see these municipalities are, are starting to get some masking ordinances. This is this is critical to to slowing this, given uh, the lack of response from the federal government. Yeah, masks are uh, really, really simple things that people can do, uh, they, can, they can wear to uh, curb the spread of the virus. And um, it's almost deceptively simple, right? Um, because you can, you can put one on and depending on the type of mask you're wearing and how it's constructed, it'll provide varying degrees of protection for you. But no matter what it is, it'll provide a tremendous amount of uh, protection for the people around you if you happen to be uh, an early, um, not yet symptomatic carrier of the virus or an asymptomatic carrier. In fact, I've seen um, speculation that if everybody were to um, just wear masks and everybody had a mask mandatory, um, every municipality, every state um, had mandatory mask rules, that we could almost instantaneously turn around the steady increases in the number of cases that we're seeing. Um, and that intuitively it follows. And that's something we really need in Wisconsin right now um, because we have had just a, a scary level of, of new cases. Um, back at the end of May, on May 29th, we had what had previously been our uh, biggest spike in the number of new cases, which was 733 new cases um, reported by the state's Department of Health Services. And at the time, we all thought, oh my gosh, that is 
that is just a, a huge number. I mean, we need to be doing something about this. Um, and then since, you know, for several weeks after that, we saw a steady decrease in the number of new daily cases, but then it started to climb again just a month later in mid or less than a month later um, in mid-June. Um, and within the past week, we have experienced um, almost every day a new number of cases that is greater than that previous earlier spike. So we've had a large number of cases over 700 and, and a couple that were almost 1,000 uh, new cases a day. Um, so it's really an alarming situation, which is why things like mask uh, requirements are, are really important. But as we've talked about earlier, it's important to make sure that we, um, that we enforce them in a way that is fair and doesn't exacerbate the already severe uh, racial disparities caused by this pandemic. Robert, what do you think? I'm going to be slightly more pessimistic than Claire about the masks. So Claire is totally accurate that there's research out there that says, for example, the New York death toll would have been 40% less if you'd had, say, 95% mask wearing. So getting to 95% in this country seems very hard, uh, particularly with all the mixed messages. Uh, but then... And we'd save 40,000 lives, according to a lot of modeling, between now and October. But there's also a lot of concern that if we'd opened up safely and used face masks, we could have controlled the pandemic. But it is spreading so rapidly now that probably another shutdown is necessary. That's what, for example, Mike, Michael Osterholm, one of the top experts, the guy you were seeing in Minnesota, who's on TV a lot, is now saying. And so it, it's vital and it would help a great deal, but probably we have already blown this as far as the completely unsafe reopening forced in this state by the politicians in robes in the Supreme Court and the most partisan majority in the state legislature, maybe in Wisconsin history. I mean, it's unbelievable. They took all the power away from the governor, and then they went home and aren't doing anything, and they're still not doing anything. They're doing less than Trump, which is saying something. Of course, Trump and his team is busy doing oppo research on Anthony Fauci, uh, the respected, you know, expert in the in the government. Of course, Fauci's polling numbers are just a little higher than Donald Trump's. I just point out. So it's good that we're beginning to see urgency and that there are local leaders stepping up. Uh, but first of all, folks got to get serious. I don't understand why the state government isn't doing massive paid advertising, telling people why there should be face masks. I don't know why Hollywood isn't doing super creative stuff all over the airwaves explaining why face mask is a way that you can protect your loved ones and that's a moral issue, not a freedom issue. Because no, even no conservative philosopher, and I'm sorry, right-wingers, I've like read the conservative philosophers of the last three centuries, the major ones, don't think you have a right to like kill other people because you don't feel like doing something. Okay, that's just adolescent trash. That's not any kind of doctrine of liberty, okay? And that you have Fox News and others stating it that way is outrageous. So anyway, it's great that we're seeing urgency. We need more urgency at the state and the federal and the local level and among each individual and everyone involved in this crisis. And we're going to get to talking, Robert, more about the urgency at the federal level and some of the events we did. But before we do that, Claire, could you just at least let our listeners know uh, this helps provide the, you know, some context around 
why this is so important and why we need urgency. Uh, Families USA released a report this week around uh, the pandemic job loss and the number of uninsured. And as we just talked about, this is not going to get better. These numbers, both in terms of job loss, uh, in terms of where we're headed with the economy, but also the impact in terms of people losing health care. Claire? Yeah, so I'm actually going to take that in a slightly different direction, but I want to say one thing really quickly about the masks which is, um, so we said that uh, Milwaukee Madison have already adopted their mandatory mask ordinances. Um, I want to flag for folks that uh, the city of Green Bay is considering theirs early next week um, on Tuesday. So if you live in the Brown County area, I would highly encourage you to contact the city council in Green Bay uh, to uh, encourage them to adopt uh, this proposal that's being uh, supported by the mayor and a number of other folks. Okay. And but I by, the, by the way, Claire, I was going to say, Eric Genrich, who's a member of ours, co-op member, has actually asked for that help as of yesterday. I don't know if you know that, so I thought I'd fit that in, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a great, great leader up there, and uh, we want to show him that we have his back. Okay. Um, but the Families USA report, which is a um, highly credible nonpartisan health advocacy think tank and policy shop, um, p- produced a report trying to estimate the number of uh, folks who've become uninsured because of the pandemic between February and May of this year, specifically because they lost their jobs and therefore their employee sponsored, uh, employer-sponsored health insurance. Um, and in the state of Wisconsin, that amounted to 62,000 people, which um, by Family USA's estimate is a 22% uh, increase in the number of uninsured folks between um, 2020 and 2018. So that is a a huge number. It means that our overall uninsured rate is estimated to be 10% in the state of Wisconsin, uh, which is, you know, one in 10 people. That's not okay. And um, I think shows that this pandemic is demonstrating that there is something fundamentally flawed with our health coverage system in the United States that has health coverage tied to employment. And this pandemic has really demonstrated that, which is why we're fighting for things like Medicare for All. With that, we are going to take our first break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Um, When we come back, we're actually going to be joined by a guest, Ben Ward from the MTA, and we're going to dive into a conversation about how could or should schools safely reopen here in Wisconsin. Um, Ben will will talk about Milwaukee, but we will also broaden that to a discussion around the state. Um, After that conversation, we intend to get back to discussing um, some of the events we had this week supporting trying to get the federal uh, money and resources that we need to continue because uh, this pandemic is not going to slow. But with that, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, we are really fortunate to have our next guest with us. It is uh, Ben Ward. Ben is the Executive Director of the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association. Ben, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Ben, the reason we asked you to come on is uh, you and you know lead the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association and, and Milwaukee is about to, tonight actually, as we record Thursday, uh, start to lay out their plan for how they're going to reopen uh, this fall. And this is a conversation that districts all over the state are having having as we speak and will be having over the next uh, couple of weeks. And 
all the way up until uh, they try to reopen. So, Ben, why don't you just tell us tell us what currently, um, you know, what Milwaukee is planning and uh, and how uh, educators uh, are responding and engaging in this process. Yeah. Um, so the Milwaukee Public Schools, um, the administration announced on Monday um, afternoon that uh, they were recommending a virtual reopening. And I think we were relieved at that fact because up until then, districts all over Wisconsin have been asked by DPI, the Department of Public Instruction, to uh, create three plans, which frankly uh, is happening all over the country and is, uh, is not very helpful. Uh, asking a public school district, most of which uh, I think every school district in this country could say that they've been vastly underfunded for years, if not decades, um, some more than others here in Wisconsin. Uh, I think we would uh, lead the country in yet another thing that we would rather not lead the country in, which is underfunding our schools. And asking a school district to not just create one plan in this uh, public health disaster, but instead create three plans um, is a mistake. So MPS did their best. They threw out hybrid options. They threw out how you would do in-person options, try to do it normally. Um, and they talked about uh, virtual option. I think finally setting a course forward um, to at least start a significant portion of the beginning of the school year virtually gives us the opportunity to spend the next month um, before our early start schools start in, in mid-August um, to uh, make the best virtual plan we can. And I would just say that um, 90% of our, uh, our membership, we launched a very uh, simple one-question poll two days ago, and in 48 hours, over 3,000 people took it, and 90% of people uh, answered that they would they support the virtual reopening. Um, teachers, uh, the other uh, non-teacher professionals, like the registered nurses who work for the Milwaukee Public Schools and are doing contact tracing for the Department of Health here in Milwaukee, uh, paraprofessionals, uh, building service helpers, food service workers, they know that this is not the time to have more adults and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of kids in, in school buildings um, when we have lost control of COVID-19 um, at the state, city, county, federal level. Every level of government has lost control of um, the community spread of this virus. Ben, thanks for joining us and what you're doing. It's just a shocking situation. You have the president and the alleged secretary of education pushing for opening no matter what. Uh, that actually, Mike Pence, the vice president, is talking about changing the CDC guidelines because they think they're too strict. You have the secretary of education acting like it's only a question of the kids being at risk and claiming they're not, which is misleading. But of course, where are the teachers in all of this? The teachers are not uh, are, are not young people. But by the way, kids are at risk too, and they risk their families. Uh, this thing is like all over the map. Um, uh, the folks at WEAC Region 7 shared with me to get my opinion, Franklin's reopening plan, and it's a joke. Uh, so a lot of these uh, school districts, even the suburban ones with resources, don't get it. 
and it's all on their own. It's, there aren't clear state guidelines or federal guidelines, not really, uh, as to what would be safe. You have the digital divide, which is you know way worse than a district like Milwaukee, where there are so many kids in poverty, right? And then you just have, I don't know, the effect on teachers. So the 90% is fascinating. My, I have a brother in Chicago who's a teacher, and he looks after uh, our mother who is in her 80s and is, and is frail. And uh, they're forcing in his district, suburban Chicago district, uh, you know, a high poverty district, so the inner suburbs, uh, they're forcing him back. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's not at retirement yet. And he doesn't, he doesn't want to risk our mother. But they literally have this bogus plan for reopening that's just going to ignore it and just bring the teachers back. There's some stuff. But I'm not saying there's nothing there, but I mean, it doesn't cope with the real situation. So do you think we can get to that with MPS and other districts, since it has to be district by district, where we actually make a decision based on the science and based on the safety of everyone, the teachers, all the staff, the whole community and the families and the kids and the kids themselves? That's, there's a lot in that question. Um, I would say um, I want just to take a, take a step back to try to um, address this. Look, everyone wants to go back. Like teachers know that virtual is not the same as what we can get done in schools. Um, schools are set up to be learning environments and their equity issues abound in a normal school year without um, without coronavirus forcing us to modify our lives uh, generally. But we know that this just exacerbates the equity divide and uh, you know access divide issues, which I, I'd like to talk about a little bit more later. Um, but you know I mean in Milwaukee we just passed we have every reason to want to be back in schools. We passed a referendum to expand music, art, physical education, hire more nurses, provide more mental health supports. The list goes on and on. And we hired 17 new music teachers, right, already. We have filled every single extra music position that the district created through the hard work of our music educators who've done you know, countless hours of volunteer recruitment for the district. And we would love nothing more than to have 17 new um, music teachers operating and, and, and giving our kids these new resources. And, um, you know, that was the first group. Those are some of the first groups of people I checked in with uh, when I said, so how do you feel about this? And when music and art teachers whose job will be like unthinkable how hard it is to teach music and art uh, <laughs> virtually, um, when they tell you, like, there's no way this is safe. Um, you know, you know, there's a problem. And then when the school nurses tell you, I can't believe we're even thinking about in-person school, um, you, you have to listen. And I think that that's important. The bottom line is our schools are part of the community. Our, I think we have to take a step back. What, you know, we ask schools to do a lot more than educate children um, in a regular year. Um, our educators are um, at in every job class, um, go above and beyond, you know, providing, frankly, enormous amounts of supplies out of their own pockets. And we can't continue to just ask more and more and now make it like it's a, uh, 
it's a high risk, uh, you know, to your health. Yeah, add the actually the additional high risk factors. But more importantly, it's bad public policy. We uh, there's an article that was circulating on social media in the hill on the hill.com that one third of Florida children tested positive um, for the virus. Um, there the myth that children don't get the virus and don't have any medical consequences of the virus is just that it's a myth. And um, the United Teachers of Los Angeles, their union has done phenomenal research um, and released a, a research paper saying we have no idea what the long-term effects will be on our children. So to, to offer a generation of children up to a virus uh, seems callous at best. But I think also, if we think that we have lost control of the community spread of this virus right now, when um, CLCs and summer camps are having positive viruses every, every couple of days, uh, childcare centers throughout the state are shutting down on a regular basis because of COVID uh, outbreaks, um, when we see this article about Florida children being infected with the virus, you have to ask yourself, why would people who have nothing to do with schools, uh, not a parent, not a family member of a child in a school, not a, not a, not a teacher, not a, a, a student, why would they want to create that, this additional um, uh, opportunity for the virus to spread massively, it seems like throwing gasoline on a fire. And with that, we got to take a break here uh, at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, ben is going to stick with us and for a second segment. When we come back, uh, Claire, we'll, uh, we'll get to you for your question, your first question. Again, we're li- you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back the Battleground Wisconsin. We're joined by Ben Ward. He's the executive director at the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association. And we're talking about how schools can or even should reopen this fall safely. Uh, Claire, I wanted to give you an opportunity to ask a question. Well, first, I wanted to uh, kind of respond to something that uh, Ben said. He said, you know, why would people who um, don't don't have a, a care for children in schools who don't work in a school district. Well, why are they so invested in trying to get these districts back open? Um, and I, I think the answer is out of um, selfish sort of financial motive. If schools are forced to open, then parents can be forced to back into the workforce by uh, because they, you know, technically could drop their their children off at a school. Um, and and the, the people who control industries and corporations and sort of the power elite um, of the country have a financial investment in trying to force folks back to work. Um, and to use your language, Ben, um, that has the, the consequence of, you know, being willing to, to use your words, offer up this generation of children to the, to the virus. And I think it also explains why there's, why some folks have so much invested in uh, perpetuating this insidious myth that children can't be harmed by this virus um, or that their symptoms won't be as severe if they get sick. Um, 
which which is sort of the newest iteration of a line of thought that we saw very early on in this pandemic, but as it related to the older generation of folks, to older Americans, um, where where um, folks like Lieutenant Governor of Texas said, um, you know, only you know three percent or something of people who get this virus it, will it be deadly for them, and you know, only for folks who are over the age of ninety years old or something. As if we should be willing, grandparents should be willing to sacrifice their lives for the the economy of their grandchildren, right? Um, and now the same is true of our youngest generation. We shouldn't be willing to sacrifice the health. Um, and and we know that just because somebody recovers from this virus doesn't mean they're going to have much, much longer of health consequences, even potentially years down the road. We just don't know that yet. And we've seen that there might be some permanent damage even in the like the lungs, for example, brains of folks who recover from this. So now we're almost seeing, like I'm saying, we're seeing that in reverse, right? We're seeing it, that argument being made about younger folks. And so it's, it's important that as a community, uh, we stand with school districts to say and parents to say like, no, we're not willing to sacrifice the health of our young people. Um, just so that people who are invested in our sort of capitalist economy can get it back up and running. So that's my rant, the riffing off of uh, the last thing Ben said. <laughs> um, but my question for you, Ben, is, you know, I know a lot of folks, a lot of school districts around the state look to MPS for, for guidance so that MPS is often a leader, especially amongst other um, smaller urban districts in the state. Have you gotten the impression that that is the case around the state as well this time, that there, that there are other districts that might be looking to, to MPS for, for what they're doing? Uh, yes and no. I think that I would expect, for, for instance, Madison to open virtually. I know their union will um, be demanding that. Um, and I know that, you know, I think folks in Madison understand the consequences and I think that's been demonstrated from some of the city's actions in the past. Um, at the same time, I, I think uh, Robert uh, referenced Franklin's Franklin was one of the first out of the gate to say, we're going to be in person. Um, I've been particularly disturbed by uh, Kenosha's Kenosha's plan Um I mean, their school board has been meeting in person with a majority of their school board not wearing masks. They're, I mean, at least they walk the walk, I suppose. But um, the bottom line is it's terrible. I mean, asking, demanding that citizens who want an opportunity to, do, to participate in public comment at their school board, you know, expose themselves to the virus sounds a lot like what happened on uh in April, when we forced people to choose between their right to vote and uh, potentially exposing themselves to the virus. But Kenosha is going to tell their parents, you know, you go in person or you go virtual. It's your choice, but essentially make that choice now, no take backs. Uh, I'm probably giving, they're probably, probably would disagree with my characterization, but I think that boils it down pretty easily. There will also be no mask requirement. That is simply horrifying. And I just think that, you know, we, our teachers unions can demand, but so much from our districts and we will be demanding equitable um, access for all of our students um, as part of a virtual reopening. And we'll be working with community groups, Citizen Action has signed on to a letter that we'll be releasing uh, today. Um, we will be crafting parts of that into a petition that people can sign here in Milwaukee. Um, I also expect that we'll join with other uh, local unions around the state in demanding from our state that we just say, 
look, we need to open all schools virtually. And clearly, um, you know, it's not a personal choice. And it, this is not a personal choice. This is not a district by district choice. What Franklin does, we don't have, we can't wall off Franklin and uh, keep the health effects of a disastrous school reopening from affecting us. We know that people who've made choices, you, you see a lot of people's social media behavior, you know, shaming people, doing this, doing that. Um, this can't come down to individual choice. Um, individual choice is what's got us in this mess. We have to make um, smart policy decisions and we have a lot of obstacles to that here in Wisconsin with the state legislature um, taking the power away from public health officials. But there's nothing that stopped, would have, should have stopped the vast expansion of testing in the state. We can do a lot better when it comes to testing. Um, localities can do a lot more. Um, the mayor of Milwaukee, uh, Tom Barrett, needs to choose whether he wants us to have an opportunity to open schools this year or if he wants restaurants and bars open. And frankly, we need to return to phase two and um, go back to uh, what was working um, because the bottom line is Wisconsin had some measure of control. It was headed in the right direction in terms of controlling community spread of the virus. And um, as soon as the Supreme Court said, sorry, you can't do a safer at home order, uh, it was not just one political party that said, okay, I guess we're done doing this. Everyone gave up and we reopened in Milwaukee in a way that is unacceptable and has put a lot of people at risk. And I'm, you know, frankly, very worried about the uh, what, where we'll be at the end of this month, where we'll be in the middle of August. This is so scary that a virtual return has us very worried. We are very worried about even the possibility of a teacher who is teaching virtually who wants to go to their classroom um, to, you know, get supplies or use, use their classroom as a place to record their lesson we're not sure that that's safe at this point. Um, and I don't know if MPS can make plans to make that safe with the level of community spread of COVID-19 in Milwaukee right now. And I think that that's something that everyone in every district should be concerned about in the state of Wisconsin and across this country. One quick thing that occurs to me, you're totally right. And you said a little earlier about the schools being part of the community. I mean, our government has dropped the ball in our communities on this virus. And so expecting the schools to operate in a vacuum, like the NBA is trying to, is absurd. And so it's a bizarre thing. If they want the schools open, they need to control the virus and do what we assumed any competent country and all the other major advanced countries did. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we don't get to do a bubble down in Orlando. Um, and I'm not even sure that's going to go okay. We haven't seen this. Um, yeah, and we, we have no guidance. There is no other country that attempted to reopen schools with this level of infectiousness, um, this level of cases, whatever measure you look at, there's nothing. Um, I believe Hong Kong shut down K-12 and their universities at, after they had a resurgence of 26 cases. I would venture a guess that that's like an hour or two here in Milwaukee. So if we think about... 
how we move forward, I think we first have to ask ourselves, how do we get this under control so that we can go back to school so that we can do this? And I absolutely understand um, when we see polls that say parents are split on this. Of course they are. Half the parents in this country, uh, if not more, are going to work in places where their boss exposes them to the virus on a regular basis. They don't have childcare options. We understand their challenges and we think that the economy has put people in an untenable situation. The experts have to make the calls on this and we have to do what science guides us to do. We have to do better. So um, I hope that we will have a, a petition that folks here in the Milwaukee area can sign and support uh, making demands upon our county and city governments uh, to do better. Um, I would expect a uh, statewide petition from all of the teachers unions in various um, localities calling upon the state to take immediate action. Um, Andrea Palm still has power to tell the schools to reopen virtually. Um, the state has the power to vastly expand testing. Um, we, we can do better, and uh, I think a community effort can make that happen. Well, Ben, we really appreciate you coming on. We are at time here. we got to take a break, and we will make sure that we share uh, both the Milwaukee petition, but then any uh, upcoming statewide petitions, and we want to encourage our listeners to stay active and engaged. Uh, the only way we can succeed here is with community being involved and supporting teachers, educators, students, parents, and families. Ben, thanks so much uh, uh, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. With that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really happy to have Christine Newman-Ortiz, the Executive Director of Voces de la Frontera, and Maria Ramirez, who's a statewide organizer at VOSIS and is also helping lead work around COVID-19 and uh, an essential worker campaign at VOSIS. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for Thank inviting you. us. So we have you on today to follow up on a conversation we had last week about the news mm -hmm. that the Department of Health Services is no longer going to be publicly releasing information on businesses that have multiple COVID cases. And we, we found this to be outrageous and saw that you all were gonna have a meeting with them. Christine, how did this meeting go with the Department of Health Services? We had a meeting with the Deputy Secretary, Lisa Olson, as well as some of the uh, workers who have had COVID-19, have been fighting to um, win protections on the job. And we were, uh, disappointed in terms of the um, answers around what kind of what led to this. And I would say we essentially just expressed that we thought this was a bad decision. It sends the wrong message. And, and, and we're critical of the process because it was a consultation with employer associations and labor unions and organizations like both that have actually been filing complaints on behalf of workers to win protections against COVID-19 weren't involved in that process. But uh, apart from that, what really needs to be done right now um, to immediately address um, containing this problem and reducing this problem is um, the fact that if not the public, the workers need to be uh, involved in the process of contact tracing. 
um, when a case um, is positive uh, or when their workers come forward to file a complaint. Because right now, what we keep seeing over and over again is that the health department is not using their full independent authority to do contact tracing in workplaces. So what they're doing is they're handing it over to the HR department and clearly they're not a neutral body. When you're asking an employer, especially a large employer, to say, um, we're counting on you to inform people who've been exposed and uh, need to be quarantined. And that means they're gonna lose on the production line 20 to 30 people. Um, they have an economic incentive not to inform those workers. So that's something that we're taking up now at the local level with local elected officials. We know at, here in Wisconsin at this point with what's happened with the state Supreme Court decision, it really falls to local government and how these health departments are using their resources uh, to, to ensure that we're using them intelligently. Uh, workers in particular are trusted messengers. They have self-interest in making sure um, that people are informed and quarantined. And of course, not letting up the pressure on these employers um, and at the local level to, uh, in, well, I should say employers because of the history of court decisions and state legislation here on the issue of paid sick days, which we know resulted in the deaths of two workers as part of this essential worker rights campaign, the lack of it. So from what I hear, it sounds like the policy is not going to change. I agree with you, this issue that this was completely uh, decided by business interests and workers were essentially shot out of the process. And, you know, let's be honest, this ought to be an administration in the department that ought to be listening to the concerns and prioritizing folks who, you know, quite frankly, help put them in office and, and they ought to care about the interest of workers. And it just, it, uh, is, was there any movement on making sure that workers, uh, both bosses and also labor unions involved in this process going forward? There was uh, an expression of sympathy and the justification given for this decision was uh, the, the HIPAA privacy uh, laws, as well as that they were not, didn't have the full authority to kind of deeply investigate in the workplace situation. I mean, we were asking, so who, who was pushing for this? Is this, uh, you know, no one is saying publish the names. No one needs to know the names. It's just the numbers. Right. We need to know that at this plant, 10 people have been exposed. And right now, the workers talk amongst themselves to get that information. Um, and again, there even hasn't even been a public acknowledgement in these two places, Echo Lakes and Briggs, to the workers themselves, nor certainly to the public, that, that someone died because of COVID-19. So, Mario, you, you've been dealing directly uh, in talking with workers. Uh, give us your perspective. Uh, you know, as someone who's been, you know, in the thick of this with workers and, you know, your feelings of the situation. Uh, well, uh, what they are doing is uh, try to uh, organize themselves to see who they are sick or who they suspicious are sick and try to organize and, and for to talk with the employers and, and ask for, you know, for Sanitation, or uh, say, I'm, uh, I know someone who's been sick. Uh, I was working close to this person, and so what's going on? So basically, the the, the workers 
they doing by themselves to educate the others by themselves to protect others. So, for example, the companies, are, uh, they don't say anything about who was sick, but uh, they call by each other and say, uh, someone I believe was sick, so I think I have to do my own test because um, I suspicious that person was uh, sick. And just recently, um, in the meeting with uh, Deputy uh, Secretary Lisa Olson, we had uh, two workers from Briggs and Stratton, and um, one of the workers, uh, Chance, was telling her that he just most recently had another report of another COVID-19 outbreak and that the company only quarantined um, certain supervisors that had been exposed but left all of the workers on the line who had equally been exposed working. So that's that selective quarantining that was just a living example in that moment. Um, we are planning on, you know, obviously uh, making this stuff public. It's important to make this public because otherwise um, they're kind of the powers that be, the establishment is willing to keep things quiet to keep, you know, profits going at the expense of workers and their families. We totally agree with you and are really, you know, just was happy that you all took the lead in exposing this and are fighting for folks and want to thank you for coming on and, and talking to us more about this issue. Um, uh, if folks want to get involved, are you encouraging people to call DHS and change this position and to, you know, encourage them to work with workers and, and worker organizations going forward? Is that what you'd like folks to do? Absolutely. Beautiful summary. Uh, we're going to post on our website the contact sheet. Uh, so one is for the state health department representatives, but also the we're having a sharp focus also on Milwaukee Health Department and Racine Health Department as two areas where we do have these, um, you know, th there's been, a, you know, people have stepped up to try to uh, have higher standards. And this would be one part of the solution, as well as calling um, the CEOs of um, Briggs and Eco Lake so that they see that there's community support for these demands uh, in, in terms of uh, granting paid sick days. Okay, folks, you need to get busy. We will have, we'll make sure as you get those links X that folks get that. Christine and uh, Mario, we want to thank you for joining us today and uh, educating us and uh, keeping up with the pressure uh, you're absolutely right. Workers need to be involved, and we need we need public sunshine to know what's going on. Thank you so much for leading in this. Thank you all for Thank inviting you. us. Before we end this program, we want to give folks an update and let folks know what's been going on this week in terms of our response, in terms of pushing for federal action uh, to this COVID crisis. We need to continue to make sure that relief flows to the city. Uh, Robert, uh, give us a summary of uh, a, a number of the activities that went on and, and why we need uh, folks to get involved. Thanks, Matt. We were all over the state on Wednesday. We had events in Milwaukee led by Raphael Smith and Dana Kelly and, and, and Trevana Sims, our organizers there and team. Uh, we had a great event in Green Bay with Noah, our co-op organizer, and Kevin Kane, who was really driving force behind the tour. I was in Madison with the mayor of Madison, and Ben Wilson joined us, our Driftless co-op organizer. And then I was in Eau Claire with our Northwest uh, co-op organizer, Brianna Stanley, and we were there with 
State Representative Jody Emerson. We got press all over the state. Here's the thing. We are let a week, a week from when you'll hear this, from unemployment benefits, the $600 extra, and that also funds work share being cut off. It's the equivalent of 66,000 jobs in Wisconsin, the middle of depression-like conditions. Plus, this is so much worse, and our response to the pandemic has been so incompetent. We need to do more. So we're pushing for a New Deal-style response, including a massive federal jobs program, which is being pushed effectively by Senator Tammy Baldwin. By the way, Ron Johnson is opposing even continuing the $600 unemployment supplement, and they're claiming, the Republicans, that that's going to discourage people from going back to work. There aren't jobs, and it's not safe because you've mishandled the pandemic, folks. So we got a lot of coverage, but everyone, we need to swing into action because politicians at all levels uh, are simply not getting this at the level of urgency, and not even all the Democrats, a lot of them. But not all of them. But the Republican Party is the most anti-science party imaginable right now. It's an outlier in the conservative world internationally, not just here in the United States. But they are. So we got a lot of action, but we got a lot to do. It's going to be bread lines and people on the streets evicted, foreclosures, if we don't at least keep up what we're doing, let alone not also expanding it to the scale of the problem, folks. We are calling for uh, an end to potentially shutting people off from power, whether it be we energies or the different uh, energy uh, providers around the state who want to encourage folks, folks to uh, get involved in that. We have a petition. We'll add that uh, to our page. But with that, we got to wrap this up. We want to thank all of our guests, Ben Ward from the MTA, Mario Ramirez, and Christine Newman-Ortiz from Bosa de la Frontera. We will see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.